when we were pre-pre-seed, we would try to form as many of these solution hypotheses as possible and try to disprove them as best as we possibly could. We would go to people, we would play devil's advocate. We asked things like, is this really useful for you? Are you actually willing to pay for this? If they push back on us when we ask those questions, then we know we're onto something. And the objective is we want to try to disprove these hypotheses because when we fail, we learn the most. And when we fail, we can then iterate and kind of improve. That's Andrew Zhou, co-founder of Kona. Kona helps remote teams fight burnout, build connections, and promote psychological safety with daily mental health checks. In this episode, we talk about the distinction between remote work and working from home, the importance of giving candid feedback, and how failure actually is a gift. I'm Maureen Taylor. This is Think Like a Founder. You know, one of the things that I know about Kona is that your mission is to make empathy mainstream and especially at work. Now, how does technology bring this to life? Right now, Kona is a daily mental health check-in. So we can ask people, how are you feeling, red, yellow, green? Very, very simple daily check-in. But the magic is everything around that. First of all, how do we build this level of trust, psychological safety, so that teams feel comfortable enough to share that, for example, they're feeling yellow and anxious today? How do we then situationally coach managers to lead with that level of vulnerability? And just as importantly, how do we then coach managers situationally on how to best support their team when someone is feeling yellow and anxious? So basically, we like to say that Kona is kind of like your best friend at work because it's a dog pun. We're named after a friend's dog, but also because we want to almost help the manager take a pulse on their team, help them with uh, everything when it comes to employee wellness. And then taking a step beyond that, our ultimate goal or our goal by even the end of the year is to be the cultural backbone for the best remote companies in the world. So we want to be able to change culture on an organization-wide scale. Okay, so actually you keep a finger on the pulse real time and that is the mission of the company. So rooted in empathy, but how people are dealing with the relationship, how they feel, the connection. And ultimately our goal is to go beyond just emotional wellness checks. We want to be the relationships layer for people at work because we fundamentally believe that wherever there's work, there's a need for a softer side of things. And that softer side, is probably the hardest thing to handle at work. So a manager's hardest job is always going to be the soft problems, having tough conversations, onboarding new employees, making people feel like they belong. All of these issues, we want to be that go-to solution for that. I don't call those things soft. I call those things vital. So I applaud you for that because the world needs it to be a better place. Now, it's important to you and your co-founder to actually walk the talk when it comes to empathy and healthy habits? And how do you make sure you do it and that your company lives the vision and mission? I think a lot of people tend to tend to see being gritty and being empathetic as opposites, where in reality, one of our core principles is radical candor. By the way, totally recommend the book. Amazing book. So as founders, we really believe that one of the biggest possible company killers is building resentment. And the way we kind of address that is every single week we'll come together, we'll write together roses and thorns. So roses, things that you want to praise people on. Gratitude in general as well, really, really important. We care about that a lot. But also thorns, just as importantly. 
And the purpose of doing this one weekly is to reframe feedback as not something to be scared of, but something to look forward to. But also, we want to present it in a way that is actually radically candid. So not, you know, not in a compliment sandwich, for example. So we'll go from things like, oh, the story that I'm telling myself in my head is that uh, in this instance, you intentionally tried to sabotage XYZ. And of course, most 99% of the time, that is just a story that you tell in your head. But bringing that up, making sure that every small little thing is verbalized and there's a conversation about it will lead to an environment where one, you fully, fully trust your teammates. And two, just as importantly, that resentment is knocked right off. And also resentment is so toxic. When you were growing up, you went through a disobedience stage. Tell us about that. There's a lot to cover here. For context, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was surrounded by a lot of Asian parents with Asian parent values. And one of the biggest things I was told over and over again was, you just go to work, you do your nine to five, you put a smile on your face and you leave work and life is what's happening outside of work. And I was always taught be obedient. And that value was attempted to be drilled into me. Um, and I remember there's this one specific story where I started a business in high school and I was also concurrently taking the SAT. And I took the SAT, got a score that was okay. My parents weren't happy with it. So my mom came up to me and she told me, hey, you're going to quit working on your business so we can full-time study for the SAT so you can get a better score. And at this point, I still didn't have a full identity formed. I didn't know what I wanted. But this was like when I first stood up to her and I told her, you know, if you force me to quit working on this business, that's something I really care about. I'm going to intentionally fail the next SAT that I take. And I think that was when I first grew my backbone and started being a little bit more disobedient. I went to college. I tried doing the whole, oh, get an internship, go into tech, whatever, all that stuff never really resonated with me. So after two years of college, I dropped out, started Kona. And here we are. And here we are now being responsible, having this sense of independence. And also there's something about founder that it's like you have an itch that you have to scratch. You have to. It's not like, oh, I'd like to do that. There's something about it that you're supposed to do. This idea of going to work with just a smile on your face, just that was the big itch for me. And I've been thinking about that throughout college. You know, I did an internship. I had a lot of peers that just wanted to get into big tech, very prestige driven. Like if you got big tech names, you were seen as better or whatever. It was this whole stupid system. And I was going through all of that and I was thinking, man, all of this is so inauthentic. Like why would I want to spend eight hours a day of my life, like a third of my life, excluding weekends, just working something that I can't even be my authentic self in. And also, I wanted to be a little bit more ambitious too. I wanted to work more than eight hours a day and do something that really was my own. I think we're going into a world where people more and more want to be their authentic selves at work. And we're here to kind of accelerate that and to really make it a reality, especially in a world of remote where people are being less authentic and more professional. It could be too that people who followed that path of work weren't inauthentic. Those were the rules of the game. And work is not separate from life anymore, which is just so beautiful. Don't you think? It's really interesting because this was a big talking point near the beginning of COVID, but it's like a lot of big executives 
that were seen as larger than life, everybody kind of put on a pedestal, idealized. They're always on stage. They're in their big, glamorous offices. And then suddenly everything goes remote. You can see their background, their messy laundry in the background, their unmade bed, things like that. So in a way, it almost humanized people in a way that nothing else could have. We started Kona before COVID. And we were caught at a really interesting stage where when COVID hit, we were still doing user interviews. And in the beginning, it was a lot of people having more structured responses. It's like, oh, isolation is a big issue in remote work. And it's harder to build relationships and time zones are difficult. But once COVID hit, everybody was scrambling and people were like, oh my God, I don't know how to work, period. The whole world was almost turned on its head in that way. COVID was a blessing and a curse for remote work for sure. I think it forced a lot of people into remote work, but not in the best possible way. Why do you say that? I think there's remote work and there's work from home. There's one where you're forced to stay in inside and your spouse is in the background um, talking as well in another meeting and you guys are in the same room and things like that. And then there's remote work, a more sophisticated, well thought out way of working where things like, oh, I don't have a place to have water cooler chats isn't a problem because there's already infrastructure there to work around that. A amazing resource that we started reading way back in 2019, when we first started, was GitLab's Remote Work Handbook. They're a very, very interesting company. Their entire company is spread across the world. There are teams in 10 different time zones. They work fully asynchronously. They rely on documentation. And yet they still don't feel disconnected, which is the most amazing thing to me. It's one of those things that feels like it, it's contradictory, but you know, companies like GitLab and there's other companies like Buffer does this really well, Doist as well. They've gotten remote work right. And I think COVID forced everybody into remote work, but people had to kind of scramble and catch up and figure out what it was. So it accelerated remote work's adoption by a significant amount. But I still think people are trying to figure out, for example, how do we reintroduce empathy into a remote workspace, which is where we come in. So how do you in this place interact with people it is so fascinating. So what you're doing, you're providing just a beautiful service. And also as a founder, you fell into every single trap a student founder falls into. And what are some of those things so people can recognize that? We started by trying to build a new employee onboarding tool where we'd help you onboard new people onto your team using personality. And you know, back then, we were college students. We we're a little bit arrogant. And we thought we knew what was best for the market. We didn't talk to a single person. We didn't interview a single person. We didn't understand anybody's problems. We were just like, you know, personality would be a cool thing to apply to new employee onboarding. So we built it. I spent a ton of time just writing the code, probably upwards of 80 hours, actually. And we put it out and nobody wanted it. Absolutely nobody. There were a couple startups that were like, oh, I want to try to use this. But, you know, they were just trying to support us. And then there are a couple people that were interested, but it was nothing, nothing. We, we couldn't get it off the ground at all. And so we went to our respective summer internships at the time. So we paused to work on the company and we came back and we pivoted to working on remote work. And this time we interviewed 50 remote managers before even writing a single line of code. This was back in late 2019, early 2020. And we asked 
very non-leading questions like what's the hardest part about your job? What's the hardest part about being a remote manager? Asking why. So something we noticed was people would say, oh, the hardest part is relationship building or the hardest part is time zones. We can't fix time zones, for example. So we'd ask, why are time zones hard? Why is that difficult? Why is that difficult? We'd keep drilling in and we'd eventually realize for most of the people that said time zones were hard, they actually meant that time zones are hard because they serve as a barrier to building relationships with people that they're working with across the world. So at the end of the day, the biggest problem for all the remote managers, most 90% of the remote managers that we talk to, it always came down to the relationships. So I think what changed between iteration zero and iteration 0.1 was that we became problem obsessed. We got rid of our ego. We're going to actually trying to learn and actually trying to understand from the market as to what's going wrong. Learning through that is very valuable. And I think people at different stages learn that at different times. Personal failure can be scary. And that difference between insecurity or humility, how do you deal with that? I mean, to move from, oh my God, I failed to, oh shoot, I better fix that. Because that's a huge difference between the two. It's just one of those delicate balances as a founder that you need to make in the sense that you need to have a little bit of arrogance, but you also need to balance that with an insane amount of humility. I think the way that I treat failure or the way that we treat failure as a company is very similar to how we think about feedback in the sense that it's a gift. And something that I like to say more so for the shock value than anything else is that your objective as a company in the pre-pre-seed phase is to fail as often as you can, as many times as you can. And the reason for that is you want to know about the problem as much as you possibly can. And the solution that you apply to that problem is always, always, always going to be a hypothesis because you don't know if it's going to work or not. Nobody knows if it's going to work or not. When we were pre-pre-seed, we would try to form as many of these solution hypotheses as possible and try to disprove them as best as we possibly could. We would go to people, we would play devil's advocate. We asked things like, is this really useful for you? Are you actually willing to pay for this? If they push back on us when we ask those questions, then we know we're onto something. And the objective is we want to try to disprove these hypotheses because when we fail, we learn the most. And when we fail, we can then iterate and kind of improve. I like to say that every solution is like you're trying to shoot an arrow at the target. You're trying to hit the target in the bullseye, obviously, but you don't really know where the target is or anything like that. So every arrow you shoot, every miss you have, you're going to learn a little bit more about the target. One of the things that we have found with leaders over the years and founders specifically is to stay a student, that there's a nature of staying a student, that that means you're always learning. And your experience doesn't necessarily mean it's the truth. It's just your experience. So it's another chapter. And there's really something interesting about that attitude because even when you get something and you know it's good and you're going to go for it, it doesn't mean like that's how it's going to be forever, that you're constantly learning, not just to change, but to learn. And as co-founders, how you said there's three of you. I mean, lots of people, when you get together, get together because you have this idea how you communicate, how your working style is, how you work together. I mean, it's as close to being parents or marriage that I've seen as far as a relationship. And that's a real challenge. How are you guys doing? 65% of companies fail because of co-founder conflicts. And I also think that co-founders that are radically different 
very, very different, not just in perspective or background, but also in working style can be extremely complementary. It can be a huge superpower. A story that I like to bring up is me and my co-founder, Sid, we have very, very different working styles in the sense that he's very chaotic, for lack of a better word. He's very creative. He's very much a CEO type. He's the kind of person that will spit out 10 ideas and be very, very creative about it. I'm more organized. I like to framework things. I like to design things and to put things on paper. So if he has all the ideas, they're all clouds, I like to bring them to the ground and really just make them a reality. That's kind of how we work now. But before, when we didn't know how to communicate with each other and have these tough conversations, there was a time when he would spit out 10 different ideas and I would be a page before him. And three days later, I'd come to the exact same realization. And instead of being excited, he would say, I thought we agreed on this three days ago. And there was always that miscommunication, that misalignment between us because of our radically different working styles. I think these kinds of things are really, really important to catch because it seems like it's such a small thing, right? Oh, no big deal. We just had a miscommunication here. But it can be an indicator of a deeper problem. One quote that I really like is, if you're one degree off, you'll miss the sun by a couple million miles. And I think having three very different co-founders and a team of very, very different, diverse perspectives will come with that challenge where alignment is really tough. But it's an amazing problem to have, and I wouldn't want it any other way. There is a kid out there. There is somebody that has an itch that they want to scratch. What advice would you give? The most cliche advice ever is just go for it. But beyond that, I think I would say go for it, but in your own way. I think one of the worst things a startup can do is follow all the best practices out there. I think if you do that, you're never going to be extraordinary. You're going to be a perfect company on paper, but perfect companies fail because they're not extraordinary at anything. So I would say, do things your own way. You're absolutely brilliant. And there is a unique insight you have on the problem that you're solving that nobody else in the world has because you have this itch. So do things your own way, chart your own path. That was Andrew Zhou, co-founder of Kona. Kona helps build culture and connect teams with gamified daily mental health check-ins. They believe empathy and well-being at work aren't just an add-on. They're a must-have. You can learn more by going to heykona.com. I'm Maureen Taylor. Thanks for listening. Series producer is Mike Sullivan. Sound design by Mark Green. Content and scripting by Jason Drown. Production coordinator is Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Roisin Hunt, Selena Persiani-Shell, Matt Johnson, John Hughes, and Ren Vera.